Yes, sir. Six months on from Tom Brady's emphatic seven Super Bowl ring. The NFL is back. And we are at the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio. Tonight sees the start of the NFL preseason when the Dallas Cowboys go up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kickoff is in just under three hours time. Welcome in to the Irish NFL show presented by Trust Gaming. You know, Brian O'Leary, lads, has been looking forward to this night for the last six months. And we're here. The preseason starts when, I mean, it's the Steelers against the Cowboys. Brian, I'll start with you, man. Is Dak Prescott even playing a down tonight or, or what's going on? I don't believe so. <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> I don't think we'll see many players from either team coming out because that's what the nature of these preseason games is more about. The players trying to get an opportunity to make the final 53, but you've touched on it, Michael. Not just me, not just yourself, Colin. Every NFL fan out there is relieved that we're finally getting to see games. And whilst it's not the best in terms of what we expect to see come the start of the season and throughout the season, it's still great to see proper games back. And uh, two great teams to start off the season in, the, in a big game. And there was no Hall of Fame game this, last year, so I think you'll find more people are taking a vested interest in the game. It's great to have it back. Yeah, and it's good column to see the 2020 and the 2021 class in the Hall of Fame being inducted this year. And we've obviously got David Baker coming on the show, and it's it's an honour to have him on, Colin. But you must be delighted the football is back, albeit in pre-season form. Yeah, look, you actually get to, to see people get hit again. Um, so training camp is, is great to watch. You see some lovely highlights of these one-handed catches and guys doing all sorts of magic tricks. Um, but it's it's very different when it starts. As Brian said, this is really about seeing the, the guys who are on the bubble, rookies who maybe went undrafted making it. You will have guys who, who come through preseason. Um, you know, for the, the Broncos, look for us, Philip Lindsay uh, is, is the guy who, who stands out most recently. Um, but, you know, you can go right back. Uh, you know, Sh Shannon Sharp and, and even Terrell Davis weren't that heralded. Um, but, you know, they they all start off in preseason and make their way towards the, the Hall of Fame, which is what this is is all about. So delighted that, that it's back. Cannot wait for real football in September. But for right now, uh, we'll take what we can get. And the game against the Steelers and the Cowboys is tonight from 1am. You can get that in NFL Game Pass or on Fox if you're in the United States. And hello to everybody watching us from uh, the United States, etc. And hello to everybody, of course, watching us on the NFL Ireland Facebook page. Our first guest tonight is none other than the president and CEO of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, David Baker. I don't think I don't think we can get much better than that at the minute in the week that it is. But to see some guys like Peyton Manning, John Lynch, Steve Atwater, to, to name a few going into the Hall of Fame this week, it was an honour to sit down today with David Baker ahead of the game tonight. Folks, the mission of the Pro Football Hall of Fame is to honour the heroes of the game, preserve its history, promote its values and celebrate excellence everywhere. There's no better man to join us today than the President and CEO of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, than David Baker. David, welcome to the show. Hey guys, it's great to be with you. We're excited. Um, you know, I, I love being together with you by Zoom, but I hope sooner or later that you can get here to Canton, Ohio, the most inspiring place on earth. Absolutely, David, and we, we can't wait to get over there, hopefully this year or even next year if we have to go to the ceremony as well. But before we start talking about this week, David, and, and the week that it is, we ask every guest this, 
Have you any Irish heritage yourself? Have, have you ever been to Ireland before? You know, I think I do. I think I've got some uh, English and uh, I have never been to Ireland, always wanted to come, uh, always loved Ireland, always loved everything Irish. Uh, and uh, you've got some wonderful poets and I, I love uh, literature. And, uh, but uh, I have never been, would love to go. Uh, I, uh, I come from a kind of a redneck background here in uh, the United States, uh, Arkansas and Mississippi. But if you trace it back, I think I've got some Irish and English in me as well. Well, we would absolutely love to welcome you to the Little Green Island at some point in, in the future, David. And we, we are going to talk about the upcoming festivities, but can we take you back to 2014 when you took over the role? Um, and you've quite an incredible job you've done, but can you talk to us I suppose, a little bit about, you know, when you, when you took over the role, has the role been like everything you expected? Can, can you talk to us about the past few years? Yeah, let, let me just say, and I say this humbly, not proudly, uh, you know, the role has been everything I expected and more, and it is the greatest job in the world. I, I, I tell you, I, I am lucky to do it. Uh, I should be paying them for them, this, them for this instead of them paying me. Uh, and, and ironically, uh, when I was first uh, invited to apply for the job, uh, it was by a kind of a national search that they were doing, and I knew the guy who was the uh, recruiter, and he asked if I would be interested in doing this. And uh, I'd been commissioner of the Arena Football League, and I knew my predecessors here at the hall, but I was doing something else, and you know, I kind of gave him my best Will Ferrell invitation, and you know, told him I was kind of a big deal, engaged in something really important, and I said no. And uh, he said, "Here, why don't you take a look at the job description?" And he sent it to me by email. Later on during the day, as I was cleaning my email up, I attached it to an email to my wife and said, hey, you'll never guess what happened today. And then I erased it. And to my great surprise, she called back 15 minutes later and she said, hey, we're going to go do this. And I said, well, sweetheart, I already told them no. And, <clears throat> and she said, well, you can call them back. And I said, sweetheart, we've got this big project I'm working on. She said, yeah, but your partners can take that. And I said, finally, I said, sweetheart, we're from Newport Beach, California. And I said, it's cold in Ohio. It's colder than you've ever been in your life in Ohio. And she said, I can handle that. I said, why do you want to do this so much? And to her great credit, uh, she said, have you read this thing? And I said, I hadn't even read it. And she said, well, you need to read this because this is what you believe. And, uh, and she was right. Uh, it, it is all about the values of the game. And my mom and my dad couldn't read or write. Uh, my dad was incredibly hardworking. My mom was incredibly loving. They were good parents, but, um, you know, a lot of what I learned came from coaches. A lot of what I learned in terms of values uh, came from sports. And to me, there are so many wonderful lessons that the game teaches. Uh, you mentioned that um, mission statement, and I appreciate you doing that when we started here, to honor the heroes of the game. It's not just about the worship of all heroes but it's about their journey. And this is what the enshrinement's about. Um, every one of them made a journey. They didn't fall out of bed great. <clears throat> As fans, we think that they made it because they were bigger, faster, stronger, quicker. And in reality, uh, they had to fight to be great. They had to persevere day after day and they had to drag a lot of other people to greatness. And I think there's so much for us to learn. And, um, and me, I call it the church of football. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're 
Baptist or Buddhist or Jewish or, you know, what's your heritage or in, in the United States, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, your politics, um, when you're on a team and when you're in the huddle, it's all about team. It's all about each other. And, and so I think there are so many wonderful lessons here that we call it the church of football. And, and, uh, and it's been a wonderful experience, uh, not just to, to know these heroes, um, but to see their journey. David, you touched on it there in terms of you said it's the best job in the world and it's a recurring team that you've had over the years. On the selection Saturday, you're knocking on all these fantastic players' doors and invite them into Canton. Um, can you just talk about the, the, the most significant memories over the year, the emotional moments, uh, and just the, the general sense of just talking to those players at the time? Yeah, I, I have had the privilege of knocking about on 80 doors. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you, it is... Uh, it is humbling, I think, I would say more than anything else. At that moment, when I'm, well, what I essentially do is share three things. Um, you know, congratulations on your, you know, welcome to Canton. Because every uh, American football player, uh, or, or excuse me, every player that plays American football, um, you know, wants to end his career in Canton, Ohio. There have been 330 million young men and now women that have played this game. There's only 5 million that have played it in college, only 29,000 who've ever been paid to play it, coach it, or officiated in the National Football League. And as of today, there's only 335 who have bronze bust here in Canton, Ohio. And, and that's incredible, elite excellence. But when you knock on the door, what I found is that it's not about these guys' pride or their ego. At that moment, it's enormous humility. <clears throat> Franco Harris once said it, when he put on that gold jacket, it was like wrapping himself in the history of, of the league from the first day that they laced up that pitskin to the last day that they, you know, kind of gave away the Lombardi trophy. And <clears throat> I think in all these guys, when you're knocking on the door, um, they're not thinking about how much money they make. They're not thinking about how many Super Bowl rings they have. They're thinking about their mom. Um, they're thinking about how she drove them to practice when they were eight years old or their dad who didn't let them quit or their, coach who inspired them or their teammates who helped them get here. And, and it's really uh, humbling to see it. You know, Peyton Manning was a guy who, uh, frankly, uh, he knew I was going to knock on his door. It took him 10 seconds to be elected as a first ballot Hall of Famer. And we did it at Mile High Stadium. And we brought back every coach, e either by video or in person, who coached him in youth football, high school football, college football, and in the NFL. And, uh, and he was humbled. Uh, the guy who I spoke to at that moment wasn't the polished 45-year-old marketing, you know, uh, genius that he is. Uh, but really, it was that eight-year-old kid that started that journey, that 10-year-old kid. And uh, it, it's always heartwarming, whether it's Peyton Manning and, or Brett Favre, who each took 10 seconds to be selected, or Jerry Kramer, who waited 45 years. Uh, but it's... a uh, it, it was something we wanted to show fans of how much this journey means to each of them. Absolutely, David. And you can see how much it means to them as well in their speeches that take place at the induction ceremonies. I know there's been so many great speeches over the years, especially recently as well. But have you any memories there or, or has there been a speech that maybe stuck out to you or is it all just a fantastic experience in that sense? You know, that's a great question because... You know, here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, 
when we leave and sometimes we'll leave, you know, I might leave at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night and I'm the only one here. So I might walk through the gallery with all the bronze bust and uh, just to check out if, as John Madden said, they really do talk to each other at night. Uh, but outside the gallery, there is a place where we play all their speeches 24 hours a day. And there've been times when I walk by and it's just me and I'll sit there and listen to them. Uh, and, and I'll come back inside. And one night I was listening to John Elway and I came back inside to shoot him an email. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, Chris Carter had a wonderful speech of talking about his brother and his mom and his grandmother and how him being in the Hall of Fame is all of them being in the Hall of Fame because they're responsible for his journey. Uh, I think Ladanian Tomlinson, who the great grandson of a slave, uh, talked about Team America and how we're all on the same team. Uh, I think I got to see right in front of me, uh, Randy Moss transfer from this guy who was this mega star uh, himself to all of a sudden transforming into this incredible ambassador for the game. And uh, I think they're all special. You know, each of these guys are media trained because they've had a lot of opportunity to talk to uh, journalists like yourselves. Uh, but it's kind of unique when you're giving the story of your life uh, to millions of people around the world. And, and I always love it because there's always something for us to learn how to be a, a better dad or a better country, uh, you know, from the journey that they've made. Absolutely. And what's fascinating, David, is from when you tell the, the person that they're going in, the knock, to the speeches, it creates goosebumps. Uh, I mean, I've watched that Peyton uh, and, you know, where, where you come and surprise him and the coaches, I don't know how many times as a Broncos fan and every time I get goosebumps. And this weekend, it's the, it's the Steelers, Cowboys, talk about two storied franchises, but the announcement to Jimmy Johnson and, and to coach Cower, can you talk to us about that? Because not, not being a fan of those teams, I still had goosebumps watching that particular uh, announcement. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, uh, we had the Blue Ribbon Committee uh, for the class of 2020, the centennial class for the 100th anniversary of the NFL. And it was 25 members. And they came to Canton and they selected for the first time ever here in Canton uh, that centennial class. And when we opened up the envelope uh, that, that our accountants, Ernst and Young, provide, uh, we pretty quickly found out that the two coaches happened to be working one for CBS on Saturday in New York and the other one for Sunday, Jimmy Johnson in L.A. And um, we thought with the time difference, we might be able to make them both if we could get a red-eye flight, you know, on uh, Saturday night out to L.A. And when we walked on uh, on CBS, we um, Jimmy Johnson was, or excuse me, uh, Bill Cower. Uh, he had that kind of, uh, you know, that stainless steel jaw, you know, that juts out there. And he is a very private guy. Uh, but boy, we, we were able to get his wife and daughter there secretly uh, just minutes before. And when they walked out, uh, the tears flowed. Uh, and then it was a situation where, uh, you know, we got on the plane, we went out to see Jimmy Johnson. He thought it was going to happen in the pregame. And we actually walked on at halftime. And uh, he wasn't breathing. He, he, you know, he, you know, they went to commercial and he had to get an inhaler. And, but there wasn't a dry eye on the set. And I guarantee you, Jimmy Johnson was thinking about his mom. And, and uh, you know, it, it's special because, again, what we want us, people to see 
is how much this journey has meant to them, how much it means to them to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And uh, we want to keep doing that as long as we can. David, just looking ahead to this weekend's celebration, first and foremost, we have the game on Thursday night with the Steelers playing the Cowboys and the fact that there's fans back at the game, um, it's going to be a sellout. And then obviously this weekend, it's going to be a dual celebration in the sense that the 2020 Hall of Famers would also be doing speeches. So the enormity of the preparation that we put in for this weekend? Yeah, there's a, you know, we have 5,000 volunteers here in Canton, Ohio generally take a week of their vacation to get ready for this and it has been incredibly safe and incredibly well run and uh, it is a, a very special place here in Canton and it's never more special than when the enshrinement is happening uh, but we will have um, for our speech limits this year we'll have six minute speeches and if they go seven minutes uh, there's a light that comes on and if it's eight minutes we kind of play them off with some music like the Oscars and uh, and, uh, but I think from, we've, we've got almost all the speeches and I think guys have spent more time on this than ever before. And I think people are going to be very moved and very inspired by the stories that these men tell. Can't wait to watch it, David. And for anybody watching here in Ireland and the UK or Europe, you can watch that this weekend on NFL Game Pass, especially as well, the Steelers and the Cowboys as well, David. We can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing both your experiences and your thoughts with fans over here. I'm sure you know yourself, obviously, within London games, there is a growing and growing, uh, I guess, demand for the NFL here. And it's been an honor to speak to you. And hopefully we can meet you in person in Canton in 2022. Thank you very much. Guys, I look forward to it. And I want you to know what an honor it is for me to speak to you. Uh, you know, here, we think the game has done a lot, and not just for those who get paid for it, but by those who become fathers and, and mothers and uh, police officers and soldiers, and teachers and preachers and firemen. And, and it, it teaches great lessons and it's a lot of fun. And it, but more than anything else, it brings us together and uh, as a people. And we appreciate, we're the guardians of the game here in Canton, Ohio. And uh, we take this very seriously. We are going to promote the legacy of these guys forever. But you guys are allies in that. And we appreciate you sharing this great game with other people. And we'll do anything and everything we can to help you do that. We are, we are your teammates. And we are very, very thankful to have you on this team. And we appreciate the great job you're doing. David, just thank you for, for everything you do in keeping the spirit of the game alive. And it is a game that is glo growing globally. You make such a difference to, to keeping those heroes of the past and the present and their stories. And that's what it's about. It's about their stories and about inspiring others. And you do a phenomenal job. So thank you for all that you do. Guys, I look forward to coming to Ireland, but I'm really excited about getting you in camp. I look forward to it soon. Thanks so much. It's been a great show so far, folks, and our next guest is fantastic and for the first time. Really, you know, a few weeks ago was the 24th, I want to say, anniversary or 27th anniversary of the game in Dublin for the Steelers. And it's great to have Ed Bouchette on from the Athletic in Pittsburgh. Ed, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to the Irish NFL Show. Thank you. Croke Park, 1997 against the Bears. I remember it well. I was there. Tell me, Ed, and tell people... You know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't that fortunate to be at that game. I'm, 
I was six at the time. You know, what was that like that game? Because for me now, that's like that's the that, that's the epitome for me. I would do anything to go to a preseason game, a, a scrimmage, a training camp in Crook Park. The game was the down part. I mean, I I enjoyed the week in Ireland more than anything. Uh, you know, I had never been there. My grandmother's Irish, was Irish, and um, uh, I I remember more about that trip. I'm honest to goodness than I do about the game. I remember Croke Park a little bit, and Dan Rooney telling us how famous, why it was so famous. Um, uh, he, you know, he tried to uh, get a game over there in 1990, and it fell through, and they had to move it to Montreal against the Patriots. But uh, he was really excited. He showed off. He loved showing off, uh, you know, his ancestry country and um, was really proud of it. Well, uh, we, we loved welcoming the, the Steelers. And, of course, they, he had them over uh, during the, um, the, the, the various Fourth of July celebrations uh, yeah. as well. Um, now, Ed, you, you are, talk about a decorated writer, you uh, have a, a very distinguished career and you've been covering the, the Steelers for, for more than, than 30 years, uh, incredibly qualified, written various books. But your first six years, I think it was, was uh, under Chuck Noll when he was head coach. Um, obviously, you know, we're, um, the, the Hall of Fame game, we're coming up to that. Chuck is a member of the Hall of Fame, um, incredible career as head coach. Can you talk to us a little bit about him as a person and, you know, his influence on the Steelers as an organization? Well, he was brilliant for one thing, um, just a brilliant man who had so many interests outside of football as well. Um, he came in, the Steelers before Chuck Noll, they had coaches who just loved trading away their draft picks. If you look at the draft picks they had in the 60s, in the 60s, there weren't very many. And Chuck said, we're going to build this team through the draft. And that was before free agency. So if you drafted somebody, you had them, you know, until you didn't want them anymore. And um, I don't know that those 70s teams could have stayed together in free agency, but they did. And that's how they built the team. Um, almost totally through the draft. I think it was their 70, 78 or 79 team that was total homegrown like they never played no not one player played for anybody else and uh, you know Bill Nunn's going in the Hall of Fame right now brilliant scout um, and and of course Dan Rooney was involved and Art Rooney Jr. and all this uh, they, they just hit on so many players uh, first round 10th round Elsie Greenwood was 10th round Donnie Shell's going in he was signed after the draft because nobody drafted him um, he's going in the hall of fame this weekend. So, uh, and Chuck was, um, Chuck was a little tough to deal with, um, until you got to know him a little bit and knew what he was about. And it took me a little while. Part of my problem was not only did I cover his, it was his final seven years. He, the Steelers only made the playoffs once during that time. So I, I hit his down period. Um, but I, I really enjoyed Chuck. Uh, he was, uh, uh, he could talk to you on all kinds of levels. He may not have been the most quotable guy, but uh, very, very interesting person. And that, that led us to a great year for the Steelers, 15 years under Coach Cower. Uh, you know, eight division titles, 10 postseasons, six AFC Championship games, two Super Bowls. I mean, the achievements go on and on. Can you just give us an insight as to what Coach Cower was like to, you know, to work with in the media circle and just the backdrop to how he's so important to the people of Pittsburgh? 
Yeah, Brian, he, um, he was real different from Chuck Knoll. He, uh, he had different philosophies and he also was more demonstrative. I mean, you know, he would get in people's faces, including referees and newspaper men, uh, players, you know, um, but he was very demanding and uh, he did ease up on the practices um, from, from the Noel days. Noel was a tough practice guy. He had those guys in pads all the time. Bill eased off on them. And, you know, uh, Chuck's teams did not make the playoffs the last two years. And bang, Bill came in and they made it his first six years. And, uh, you know, he's going into the Hall of Fame as well. And some people are saying that, uh, uh, well, he only won one Super Bowl. Well, he didn't have a quarterback, really, a franchise type of quarterback he won all those um all those games and made all those championship games without really a franchise quarterback until his final few years when he got um Ben Roethlisberger so uh but but Bill was more of an in-your-face kind of guy he he took care of his players but he let them know right where they stood with him I mean he would tell them I'm not so sure Chuck did that uh, but Bill was always open uh, to telling them, hey, look, you know, you're going to have to do this to, to, if you, if you want to make this team. And uh, that was not Chuck. On the day and on the weekend that it is, Ed, it's, it's great to have you on. You're obviously a guy, a Hall of Fame voter. What's it like to present a player's case before the Hall of Fame selection committee? We spoke to David Baker uh, today and just the way that he talked about the Hall of Fame was just incredible. And it must be an honor being able to actually present that to the committee as well. It can be, it can be also frustrating, Michael. Um, I'll take Alan Fanica. I mean, he had every credential you would want to have for an offensive guard and it took him six years to get in. So every year I had to stand up before the, there's 48 of us in the room uh, who vote. And I had to stand up and make his case. And I tried to do something different every year. Um, but it was, it was frustrating for him. And it also was for me because you know how worthy he is. And yet you're seeing other linemen go in ahead of him. Um, but, you know, that all gets washed out once he gets in. I mean, Lynn Swan, it took forever. I, um, in fact, Myron Cope used to do the Hall of Fame voting in Pittsburgh, and he got frustrated because Swan and Stallworth couldn't make it and gave it up, and I took over. And uh, I'm not saying it was because of me, uh, but uh, Swan did get in finally in 20, in 2000. Um, and then Stallworth got in the next year. So uh, it, it can be rewarding when you have a player like Troy Palomalo who goes in his first year of eligibility. But it could be frustrating when there's an Alan Fanica, a Lynn Swan, or even Jerome Bettis it took him five years, even though he was, I think, the fourth or fifth leading rusher all time when he retired. Yeah, as a, as a Broncos fan, Ed, uh, I, I think it's, it's an interesting one this weekend because obviously Peyton goes in, for, uh, David Baker throws, it took all the 10 seconds, and Steve Atwater is a guy who you know has finally made it in. But for, for you, it was um, talking about, uh, we mentioned him earlier, uh, Big Ben and um, a guy, you know, I, I, who had an interesting season last year. It started off so well. Ben seemed to change it up. He went to quick, quick passes, but then it didn't end so well. There was all this speculation in January, February. Would, would Big Ben be back? 
he is back. Um, apparently, he slimmed down. He looks good in training. And all of a sudden, we hear Art Rooney today say, it might not be Big Ben's last season. Interested in, in your take on it. How much does Ben have left in the tank, do you think? Colin, I thought he had, um, last year, he had a lot. Um, the quick passing game, I think, was devised early on because he's coming off major elbow surgery. And they didn't know how that was going to hold up. And they didn't want to put too much uh, tension and pressure on on that elbow all season long with him throwing his typical deep passes so they came up with that short passing game and it combined with them not having a run game that really hurt uh, so defenses just said huh, you want to show throw the short passes and you can't run well, that's easy to defend against um, but now he's had another whole year to heal um, I expect better things from him but let's remember now he's 39 and as you get older, uh, you never know what's going to happen. The legs can go. Uh, you can you can you can tear something more easily when you age. Um, so uh, you know it's good that he he has slimmed down and he, he he's been working out pretty good. He has been doing that actually for several years. Um, but um, I think. As soon as he said he was going to play this year, everybody's saying, well, he's got one more year because of the contract he did. I go, hey, if he has a good season, why is he going to want to quit? Nobody's saying that about Tom Brady. You know, Brady just keeps going. Why can't Ben? Ben has never said, I'm, I'm only going to play one year. They did that contract to make room under the cap this year um, so they could sign some other people. But that's easily, he's easily resigned next year if he wants to come back and they want him back. And one way, I suppose, of relieving the pressure on Big Ben this season would be to have a proper run game. As you touched on, there was no really effective run game last year. They've tried to address that in the draft with Najee Harris from Alabama coming in. What's your expectations for him? Do you think they'll become more of a run-dominated team this season? Well, two, two things, uh, Brian. Najee Harris has been over and above expectations so far and the expectations were high you know he's the first pack drafted all his success at Alabama and everything else he can run he can catch and he can block so they they can keep him on the field all three downs they can keep him in there and pick up the blitz uh but the, the and he has looked great in in training camp so far the problem that could prop up is that offensive line you know some people already were calling it uh, we're rating it the worst line in the league. And, and now they have all these injuries. These guys aren't even practicing. Um, you know, Chuksakora for is making the transition from right tackle to left tackle. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, it's a, it's a lot different. Um, it's, it's a, uh, important spot, especially as for 39 year old Ben Roethlisberger on his blind side, he hasn't practiced. Um, Zach Banner's coming off ACL. He just put the pads on Monday and has practiced a little bit. Um, uh, Kevin Dotson, now he, he did play some last year, hardly practicing at all. Uh, J.C. Hassenauer at center, not practicing. Uh, but now the rookie is getting, um, uh, Kendrick Green is getting a lot of snaps there. So that, that may be a, a blessing in disguise that he is getting all those snaps because some people thought he was going to win it anyway. And then, you know, all these guys quit. They had three Pro Bowl linemen um, who are gone. Boom, vanished, you know. 
And um, that line is going to be important, obviously, to the run game. And now they're getting tight ends hurt. But it's early. There's more than a month to go before they kick off for the real. I'm just excited the preseason's here now. I mean, like, I've never been as excited for preseason in my life. Uh, I'm going to actually look ahead, uh, not just to this season, but next season when teams have more marketing rights internationally. We were speaking with Tom Rooney in Dublin a few weeks ago, and we were sort of discussing the future relationship the Steelers might have potentially with a country like Ireland in the future. Um, have you any thoughts yourself, obviously, as somebody that went to Dublin with the Steelers at the time, have you any thoughts on how the Steelers could potentially use that market or could you potentially see the Steelers playing a preseason game or a game in Dublin down the stretch? You know, Michael, I'm a little surprised they did not play uh, there when Dan was ambassador. Uh, I, I thought they would, uh, I thought they would do that. Uh, maybe just, it just for whatever reason, I'm not smart enough to know the reasons, you know, money wise, uh, why it, why it couldn't go, but um, I, I'm surprised that that they haven't gone back to to Ireland really, um, uh, because it, it's you get the TV, you get, you get the games on TV more readily now. Uh, when Dan Rooney was there, he he even had trouble when he was ambassador watching his own team play over here because of it, the setup wasn't very good. He was using Slingbox. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I just think, it, again, I, I'll have to ask his son, Art Rooney, that uh, very question. Why haven't you gone back to Ireland? Why, when are you going back? You know, they did go to England, as you know, they played there in, uh, I think it was 2012, maybe. They lost to the Vikings in a regular season game over there. And that, that was nice, but it, it wasn't Ireland. Well, you can tell, you can tell Art, we, we would be delighted to, to welcome them back to the Little Green Island, uh, Ed, whatever, whatever they want to come over, pre-season, regular season, whatever, whatever they want to do. Now, I was looking recently, uh, actually, uh, sack statistics, and one of the things that jumped out at me was the Steelers kept coming up time and time and time again, um, and I'll, but obviously... Um, TJ Watt is uh, the, the main guy at the moment, but Bud Dupree has moved on. I was interested in your thoughts, both in terms of can you see the, the Steelers being a force again this year in terms of getting to the opposing QB, and also in terms of that TJ Watt contract situation. Is that when or does that, that get resolved? Can they come up with enough money to, to keep him uh, in, in Pittsburgh? Well, we asked Art Rooney that question on Monday, uh, Colin, um, and he said uh, that uh, he hopes to get it done. You know, they have their own deadline. They, they, don't, they don't do contracts once the regular season starts, and that's September 12th. So there's, you know, what, five weeks left. Um, and I said, are you optimistic about it? He said, I don't get optimistic or pessimistic. I've learned through the years, We, you know, because of the way some of these things go. So I don't know. It's going to be a, it's going to be a big, big contract. Those edge rushers make a lot of money now, 25 to 30 million, the top ones. And um, that's a, that's a big one. You know, that's more than the quarterbacks have gotten here. And um, uh, it, they do have him for 10 million this year. And there is the franchise tag available to them next year and the year after which would, you know, cost them less. On the other hand, 
players hate this. You know, I mean, look what happened with Le'Veon Bell. He, he sat out because he hated it so much. And just to circle back to the Hall of Fame uh, celebrations this weekend, and it's going to be slightly different because not only are we celebrating the players going in this year, but last year, and one of those is the Steelers, Troy Polamalu. Um, COVID permitting, hopefully he will be there to do his speech. Can you just talk to us about his uh, his career with the Steelers? And, and I suppose you touched on earlier the fact that he went in on the first round of voting. Yeah, Brian, he may have maybe uh, the second most popular player uh, with the fans in, in Steelers history. I think Lamb, Jack Lambert still was number one. But, um, you know, he had such a, uh, he was such a different player. He could, I saw him, he would line up in the box on the left side and wind up be, before the snap or just as a snap, bang, he'd be over on the right side, covering somebody deep down the right, you know, the other side. And he, he could do that all the time. And he had such a, a sense, a football sense of uh, what was going to happen. I mean, I, you've probably seen that clip of him jumping over the line of scrimmage um, as, the, as, the, as the ball was being snapped. It was like he knew exactly what the count was going to be. Um, he was just a dynamic uh, safety who uh, it's hard to call him a strong safety, a free safety. You could call him uh, a linebacker at times. You know, he was everywhere. Um, and, you know, he made that big interception against Baltimore in the AFC Championship game that sent them to the Super Bowl that one year. And we'd just like to take this time to thank you for coming on. I hope it's the first of many times you come on. Who knows, maybe we'll share a pint in a couple of years before a game at Crook Park pre-season or regular season. But as we said with our previous guest, John, as well, for anybody that is watching this tonight or listening to our podcast, please consider going to The Athletic because you can get it in Ireland and the UK and subscribing as well. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Michael. And we have some great European soccer uh, coverage on that site too. So you might want to look at it. Maybe we'll get some uh, good Irish football coverage one of these days. <laughs>
I suppose before we we get into the game and stuff, um, an interesting, uh, you know, since we had you on, like the, the draft and the Cowboys going defense heavy, was it the first five picks and eight, eight of the 11 were on defense? And not that surprising given last season's struggles, I suppose. Um, and then they bring in Dan, Dan Quinn. From your impressions at camp and, and what you've seen so far, how is that looking like it's coming together, John? Well, the defense looks like they're more bought in. It, it seems like everyone's more on the same page. And, you know, Mike Nolan last year as the defensive coordinator, obviously there were no favors done for him in the fact that it was during a pandemic, new defensive coordinator to this team. He didn't get this coming out, out to California. They didn't get all this extra time to kind of learn his new system. And so looking back on it, last year was the worst year in the NFL to try and start a new system in anything. I mean, you were better off trying to stick with what you did the year before. Obviously the Cowboys weren't going to do that because they had moved down from Jason Garrett. So it was a new coaching staff, but it was just the worst year to, to move in a, in, into a new system. So now that they've had some time with Dan Quinn, they've had a regular off season. You can tell players just seem more bought in. They seem to like his coaching style. He's very hands-on teacher uh, type. So as of right now, everything looks great, but obviously that doesn't matter until the games start getting played. Um, but everything I've seen out here, it, it matches up with what I've heard from players. Yeah, one of the main talking points for the Cowboys this offseason was obviously Dak's, pre Dak's uh, contract, and that was all resolved last March, probably a little bit earlier than people would have thought. They probably thought it would have dragged on a little longer. But, you know, at the same time, he's coming off a serious injury after last year. Uh, from what you've seen so far, how does he look? And are they taking a very slowly approach in terms of leading up to the season? Yeah, so his right ankle injury... I mean, I was surprised even in OTAs and minicamp how well he looked at that point. I thought it was going to be, we weren't going to see much of him until training camp started. So that all of those boxes were being checked already. And then he comes out here and he looks great the first few practices. But then at one day we see him talking to one of the athletic trainers about his, his right arm is his, his right shoulder. And so he strained a muscle in his right shoulder and it's now it's not something that would keep them out of a practice or a game during the regular season, but because they started, because they're the first team to play a preseason game, the Cowboys and Steelers both got a, a week early to start training camp. And because they got that week early, they're Dak's at practice, but they're not having him throw for, it hasn't thrown for the last four practices. He's probably not going to, you know, he's not going to make the trip uh, to Canton to play the Steelers. So he's probably only going to play if he plays in the preseason it'll probably be only for a series or two anyway. It's really all about getting a week one with them, especially with all the injuries they had last year. But from everything we've seen from him, you know, he looks great and he's got a ton of weapons around him. The offensive line's back healthy. So, I mean, this is shaping up to be a career year for Dak Prescott, but I know that there is concern from the fan base because they hear, oh, you know, he's got a right arm injury, you know, you know, how is that going to affect him throwing? Is it going to get worse as the season goes on? That's not the case as of right now. They're just giving him the rest because, he knows the offense. He knows what he has to do. Let's try and bring along some of these backups. They can use their arm during some of this time, and then he can be ready for week one. How have you found the offensive line so far at Camp John? There's obviously reports out there that, you know, saying it may not be as strong as previous years. Uh, do you buy into that, or do you think it's maybe better than you expected at Camp so far? Yeah, so 2014 and 2016, their offensive lines were outstanding. And I don't know that they're going to get back to that level, but I think with the pieces they have, if you tell me Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins and Zach Martin are going to be healthy all season, they'll have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL again, but it's all about their health. And so they've been managed throughout this training camp. You know, Tyron Smith has gotten some off days, you know, same thing with Zach Martin, Lyle Collins, they're, they're easing them back in because they're just so important, particularly in their division. I mean, Washington is 
got as good of a pass rush as anyone in the NFL, that's when they need those guys more than ever. And they didn't have them last year in those games. And obviously they lost both of them. So uh, as of right now, yeah, everything looks great, but that's the thing about training camp. I mean, they're not tackling to the ground. It's just, it's very difficult to get a real feel for the run game until you start playing these preseason games until you get in the regular season. Cause there's only so much you can do because all these camps, not just the Cowboys, they're trying to get through these things, avoiding any major injuries. You know, that's, that's the worst part. Obviously you see what's happened in Indianapolis, you know, with Carson Wentz and then Quentin Nelson, like that's what these camps are about. It's get the guys around each other, get everybody on the same page, but don't do anything stupid to where you lose a star player for, you know, a long period of time or anything like that. Now injuries are going to happen regardless, but they're going to try and do their best to, to limit those chances. Now, as you, as you mentioned, I mean, it's so different to last year. And one of the things that was talked about last year was that with the lack of kind of preseason games with training camp being as it was, it kind of favored the more established guys. It didn't give guys on the bubble or, or rookies or, you know, undrafted guys really that shot. With the Cowboys having that extra week, John, and, and, and the extra game, um, do you is there anyone that you think might have a, a shot at making the final 53 who would be a little bit flying under the radar usually? Well, I don't know that Ben DiNucci would be flying under the radar, but he's right now their number three quarterback, and he's going to play a lot in the preseason because they didn't have the preseason games last year, and that as a rookie, he didn't get any of that time. And then Dak goes down, and Andy Dalton gets a concussion, and here you go, Ben DiNucci, this rookie quarterback, seventh-round pick, has got to start against the Philadelphia Eagles, and that was just a disaster. But they that's what that's what the hand they were dealt. And so they're going to get Ben DiNucci, I think, at the end of the day, we'll probably play the most snaps in the preseason of anybody on the Cowboys roster. So he's someone to keep an eye on uh, too, especially. And then for this first game, he's going to play a lot in this game. And he's a kid that, you know, grew up in the Pittsburgh area um, is it was a huge Steelers fan. So it is kind of neat that he gets to play a lot in there in, in terms of other guys that could potentially stand out. I mean, it's all about this rookie class this year on defense. You know, they, they drafted this defensive tackle Osa Digizua, who, Again, like in training camp, you can only see so much. So I see him as being a guy that it's going to be interesting to see what they have there. And, and not just him, the, the defensive tackle position as a whole, because it just, to me, it's the weakest position on this roster. So guys in, in those positions got a chance to potentially shine. It just, there's guys that have stood out a little bit in, in training camp that are under the radar, but it's just going to be so tough for them to make the team. Like, for example, wide receivers, Malik Turner and Reggie Davis, they're going to play a lot in the preseason. But it's like, I don't even know if there's enough that they can do to make a roster that already has Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper, Cedric Wilson and Noah Brown. It just, it's such an uphill climb there. Same thing with the backup running backs. Like if Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott are healthy, none of these, you know, undrafted free agent guys at the bottom of the roster are going to have a chance to, to make the team. So um, one guy on offense, I'll say is Sean McCune, who was an undrafted free agent last year out of Michigan. And he's like the number four, number three tight end right now. And, and he's played really well in camp. So he's going to play a lot in the preseason. I keep an eye on him too, because he certainly has a chance to not only make the roster, but, but have a little bit of a role. John, the, the division itself was the weakest last year, but year after year, it still remains a very competitive division. It's been quite some time since the Eagles have won back-to-back -back divisions. Having seen free agency and then the draft thereafter, has your opinion changed in terms of you believing that the Cowboys are still favorites for the division? I do. I, I just, the only thing that would have changed my opinion on that is Washington would have had to gone out and got a, a you know, a better quarterback this off season, whether it be, you know, Deshaun Watson, something like that, you know, obviously he has a lot he's dealing with off the field anyway, but who knows when he'll even be eligible to play. But if they got somebody like, like a big name quarterback or somebody that really 
significantly improved quarterback. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is, is solid, but I don't know that he does enough there. So is if this Cowboys roster is healthy, there's no question it's the best roster in the NFC East. So that should take care of business. But, you know, there's injuries. There were the injuries they had last year. It was a bad luck, you know, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But if they don't have, if they kind of, if that was their bad luck year and they got that out of their system and they're going to stay healthy this year, there's just no reason that they shouldn't win the NFC East. That's, I mean, it's, I don't think it'll be as bad as it was last year, but I still think the NFC East is the worst division in football. I mean, it's the most winnable by far for, I mean, the Cowboys, they have no excuses if they don't win this division. Obviously, John, interested to see what was going on in New York on Tuesday with the fighting and et cetera. Todd Davis retiring as well on the spot. I want to joke on Brian, but John. Joe, like, Joe, it, Noon, it, Joe Nooney's actually retired this afternoon as well. John, I'm a Giants fan. Their coach is running these old guys hard, you know, they're walking out within the day. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, uh, the stuff I see on Twitter and the stuff I've been reading about the Giants, not just this year, but last year too. I'll just say this. They're a night and day operation different from the Cowboys since Mike McCarthy's come out. And these and those two coaches both took over at the same time. Like Mike McCarthy's not running anybody. No, I will say there haven't been any fights in practice. Maybe if there were a bunch, maybe he would do that. Um, but th- I don't get that sense from this camp at all. It's never even been close to anything like that. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm watching Cowboys practice, but I'm still checking my phone to see what's going on around the league. And I see some of that stuff and I'm just like, wow, that's kind of like some high school stuff going on over there. I, I'm fascinating to see what happens, but I'll say this about the NFC East. It's it not only has a team not won it back to back years since since the uh, Eagles in the early 2000s, but oftentimes the team that wins it is is one that you really don't expect. So I'm not even I'm not sleeping on the Giants. Like I don't think the Giants will win the division. But if you told me that you know four or five months from now we're looking back and the Giants end up winning the division because they stayed healthy and Daniel Jones played well and Saquon Barkley was healthy, like it wouldn't completely stun me because that's how this division's been. I mean. 2014, when the Cowboys won it, they were supposed to be the worst team in the division. 2016, they lose uh, Tony Romo in, in the preseason. They're going to start this young kid, Dak Prescott, a fourth-round pick, and then he's going to sit there and lead them to 13-3. and No one expected that either. Those are the two best Cowboys seasons of the last decade, and neither of them were you, know, were you expecting what they ended up doing those years. We're still a few weeks away as well, John, and I guess my last question is, is this. It doesn't matter if you're in Texas or in Ireland or in the UK, there's always that hype around the Cowboys at the start of the season. It's it's going to be our year, etc. What do you think would realistically be a, a season which Jerry Jones could look back and go, there, the, you know, the, the potential has been met? Do you think, obviously Jerry Jones is always going to want to go to, to win a Super Bowl, but do you think he's got a certain expectation ahead of the season? I think he does. I think that he wants to get beyond the second round of the playoffs. He wants to get back to the NFC championship game. Now he's not saying that right now, you know, when he's talked to us and other interviews I've, I've watched that he's done in the last, you know, couple of weeks, he's really trying to be cautious. He's not the Jerry Jones that we've seen in some previous years where he's talking Super Bowl this time of year. So he's trying to be cautious about it. Kind of like I mentioned 14 and 16, he was acting that way too. So maybe he's trying to, you know, replicate that, but Mike McCarthy wasn't brought in here just to make the playoffs. Mike McCarthy was brought in here to get them past the second round because that's as far as they could get under, you know, Jason Garrett's time here. And so now that he has, you know, this is his second season going in, he's got a new defensive coordinator. They had, they've had two good drafts on paper. At least it looks that way the last two years. If everyone stays healthy, you know, they're expected to make the playoffs. And when they get in the playoffs, make, make a run. So, you know, Obviously, he wants to get to the NFC Championship game, but I would think you got to at least get to the playoffs and, and at least get to that second round to show 
okay, last year was a disaster. That's behind us. We're building in the right direction. So, you know, if this is another season where they don't make the playoffs, I mean, that's just, that doesn't look great for Mike McCarthy. So if that's the case, then, you know, you're going into next off season talking about, is it already time to make a coaching change after only two years? And so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot riding on this season, but again, this wasn't Mike McCarthy wasn't brought in to rebuild this roster and Hey, it's, it's going to be ugly early on, but two, three years down the road, you know, no, 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 that that's not what was going on here. They would have hired a college coach if they wanted to do that. Uh, they were bringing in a guy that's already got a team to a Super Bowl and won one in green Bay to take that next step. And for them, the next step is to finally get back to an NFC championship game, which hasn't had happened in over 25 years. And you have a, a podcast about them Cowboys. And obviously this weekend, Jimmy Johnson synonymous right. with how about them Cowboys goes into the hall of fame, given well, like he went in last year, but obviously, you know, in, in person this year, just wondering, are, are there, um, are there any good Jimmy Johnson stories and also, um, who are the who are the Cowboys looking to next to, to potentially go into the, the Hall of Fame? I know as, as a Broncos fan, obviously, we always talk about like Carl Mecklenburg or Randy Gratishar. I'm wondering uh, for the Cowboys, who are who are the ones who they hope will get over the line the next time around? Yeah, I think for for the second part of your question, I think it's it's guys like the DeMarcus Ware, obviously, you know, in Denver, you guys got to see a lot of that. Um, I mean, he's a no question guy. Jason Witten is another one people will talk about. Um, you go back to those, those Jimmy Johnson days, though. Uh, one that's talked about quite a bit with Cowboys fans is Darren Woodson. Um, you know, he's a, he's a ring of honor guy, and that's kind of the next step. And I think one day he eventually gets in. Uh, he was a key piece uh, on those Jimmy Johnson teams. So um, in terms of Jimmy Johnson's stories, though, it's funny because so I wasn't covering the team, you know, obviously when Jimmy was here, but it the thing that stands out to me looking back on all these years and just hearing all the conversations and talking to people and that like Jerry and Jimmy get along better now than they did back then. But the longer each one of them talks about the other one, you can tell that there still is that rivalry about who deserves more credit for those nineties teams. And it like for, so for Jimmy, for example, he's done a lot of interviews recently with him going into the hall about those nineties Cowboys. Cause he's the guy, he's the architect that built them. And so then he leaves after that 93 winning back-to-back Super Bowls and everyone's kind of stunned by that. And he's been saying lately about how he didn't really get to enjoy that run because he was so busy. Even after they won that first Super Bowl, he's like, you know, I didn't get a chance to enjoy it because I had to go right back because I was in charge of personnel and I had to get ready for the draft free agency and that, but it just things like that, where it's like, he wants everyone to know I was in charge of personnel. Don't forget that, you know, because Jerry is now, but at those times, Jerry wasn't, even though Jerry likes to claim that he was. So it's always interesting back forth with them. And then the other part of it is just the fact that I mentioned Darren Woodson's in the ring of honor. Jimmy Johnson's not. And that's a, that's a big deal down here in Dallas. I mean, everyone's kind of, you know, still surprised that, J- that Jerry hasn't done that. And Jerry's been asked multiple times in the last couple of weeks about that. And he's kind of brushed it off to like, no, it'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that later. That'll eventually happen or whatever. And it makes you just sit here and think you're like, is he ever going to, is he going to put Jimmy in there when he's alive? And Jimmy Johnson certainly belongs in the Cowboys ring of honor. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen. And it just certainly seems now that he's going into the pro football hall of fame. Now is a great time to put him in there as well, because, you know, not only was he the coach and the architect for those first two Super Bowls, I mean, he brought in the majority of those players that won it again in 95 on that team that Barry Switzer was coaching. I mean, he's absolutely Dallas Cowboys royalty. You can't write the story of the Dallas Cowboys without Jimmy Johnson. So uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if anything like that is mentioned in his hall of fame speech, or if it's just one of those moments where he's like, 
let's not, well, let's just talk about the good times. We're not going to try and complain about anything like that. Let's just enjoy this. But obviously me covering the Cowboys, that's the speech out of everyone that's given a speech, you know, this weekend coming up, he's the number one that I, I can't wait to watch. John, one of the controversial topics at the moment across the league is, is the vaccine situation and players getting vaccinated. Did you, could you see in terms of who is and who wasn't, sorry, wasn't vac- vaccinated what, from training camp to days and what's the Cowboys overall approach to the situation? So now most players have not wanted to talk directly about it unless they have gotten the vaccine, then they're just open about it. But the Cowboys are not one of the you know teams that are at over the 85% vaccinated the way I think the last report I saw was around almost half the league is, is at that point or higher. Now that's with 90 man rosters. They're going to trim these things down to 53. So when camp started, Jerry Jones said that he was confident that there'll be well over 85% when they get down to their 53. And he said that there's only five guys on the roster. He kept, he, he's, he's repeated this multiple times since we've been out here in California, that there's five guys on the roster that basically are completely there's just no, they're not getting the vaccine. They just won't do it. There, there's no convincing them. So five guys out of 53, that clearly puts you, in, you know, in, in good shape for the season. Even if you can't get those, those final five guys, they'll, they'll cross that threshold and, and, and get to where they need to be so that they're not limited, you know, during the week and, and guys can be around each other. And then when they go on the road, they don't have to stay at the hotel. They can go out and things like that. Um, so you know, Mike McCarthy was asked about it the other day. He wouldn't mes- men- mention any specifics or anything like that. Um, but he he said that he thought that they were in good shape, that everything will be on track, and and uh, they'll be ready to go. I, I, me personally, something I think about when I hear some of this stuff is, you know, no team will ever admit this, but a little bit behind the scenes, you're kind of wondering, like, if you're one of those guys that aren't getting the vaccine, like, and you're on the bubble of making the roster, could that end up being the difference between you making this roster or not? So I feel like anybody that's on the bubble is probably vaccinated because they don't want that to be the decision maker on them potentially being on the Cowboys final roster or not. But, you know, when Jerry said five players, I didn't think he meant five on the 90. I thought he meant five on the 53, five guys that will be a part of this team that he's counting on, you know? And so uh, I think that that's kind of where they'll be once the, once the season starts, but yeah, from the Cowboys perspective, they're not concerned at all that they're going to be limited uh, because they don't have enough, enough guys vaccinated. Forward to seeing some of those guys on the bubble for the Cowboys tonight in the Hall of Fame game, which you can watch from 1.20 a.m. I know these guys are looking forward to it, John, but we want to thank you for uh, obviously your support, taking the time to come on again for anybody who wants to check John out on Twitter as well. You can subscribe to The Athletic if you're in the UK or Ireland. It's £2.49 a month at the minute on offer. It's €3 Euro a month, so check it out. And John, thanks so much for coming on again. Massively appreciate it. No problem, man. One twenty in the morning to watch a Cowboys preseason game. That's a hardcore fan right there, man. My, my hat's off to them.